So this is the part of our time together where if you've got a Bible in your house, now is the moment to produce it. And if you don't have a Bible in your house, then please do download one. You can get one for absolutely free on the App Store or the Google Play Store. Um, I'm not sure where in the world you live. Uh, if you live anywhere near the northeast of Scotland, then what you know is that even though it's June, it might snow. <laughs> Uh, and <laughs> That's so true. It is so true. And uh, I love snow. So I'd be in some ways happy with that. Although our new lettuces that we're growing wouldn't be that happy with it. But I love um, most things about it, except for snow, snowmen. Because um, ever since I was a child, I struggled to create a really great snowman. Like in my mind, it was always going to be really brilliant. And exactly like you see in the picture that you have in your mind right now, but instead, for almost from the moment of conception, these snowmen just were never quite what I'd hoped, you know. And so it was like downhill from the word go. So, you know, you'd kind of start rolling the snow around to get a really big ball for the body, but it would pick up stones and twigs and leaves and things like, and mud. And so it was never like pure white it was always more like a dirty gray and then you get the other one you put it on top and it's a bit lopsided and like all every snowman i've ever created has always been really ugly you know like just ugly and then no sooner have you created it the next day it's all sagged a bit the next day the head falls off <laughs> and then the day after that it's just like two mounds of slush in the garden it's just such a disappointment and i felt like from an early age that maybe the creation of snow people, don't want to be sexist, was, um, I've uh, lost my trailer. No, it, it was a, like a, a, a design, a scheme from the adult world to teach you a lesson, which is that it seems like in every situation in life, everything goes from being good to bad or from being in order to being chaotic. It, it kind of feels like mo lots of things in life, they start off well, but after a while, it's like, oh, it wasn't what I'd hoped for. And um, everything starts off with hope and adventure and excitement. It kind of seems to end up with disappointment and frustration and mess. And the question that I think that our passage that we're gonna look at answers today is, is that true? For example, take marriage, for example. Marriage starts on such a high, doesn't it? You may kiss your bride, everyone cheering, everyone deliriously happy. Is it true, does, is it inevitable that all marriages are downhill from that point on? Or friendship, or brotherhood, or sisterhood, or family life, or faith. Is it true that faith starts off on a high? And then just over the course of time ends up more in, in a place of routine and dry religion. Does it have to be like that? Um, do you know, I think this question is maybe even more critical in lockdown. Where it feels like, will we ever have what we had? And is everything going to turn to dust? And like when the pressure's on and we're all feeling like a bit stressed and a bit anxious about life, is everything gonna kind of go from good to not so good? Is that the trajectory of life? And um, so we are gonna read from Philippians chapter two. And just rem to remember the context, the apostle Paul is in lockdown. 
And where he is in lockdown, he is aware that his dear friends in Philippi, or amongst his friends, there's been a relational breakdown. And he can't go and visit them and help them to sort it out. And so he sends them this letter. And in a way, he's speaking into this question of, you know, is this just inevitable? That it started off on a high, but now it's not so great. Now it's, you know, the trajectory is in a downward direction or is there hope and so he's going to speak into that and uh, so we're going to read from Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 just to remember that the immediate passage before that he's talking about Jesus and he's saying Jesus lived this amazing life of servanthood and sacrifice submission to God and obedience ultimately to God and he says this therefore my dear friends as you always have obeyed In other words, as as you've always been just like trying to follow Jesus, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine like shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And I would just encourage you to keep your Bible open or your phone on uh, just because we're going to kind of delve quite deeply into the text today. I'm aware, I'm so aware that there are people joining us who never read the Bible before. You don't know anyone who's ever read the Bible before. And there are other people joining us who like you've read the Bible every day for 60, 70 years. And so it's difficult to kind of, you know, include you all. But today's going to be really trying to look at this text in detail. Um, A few weeks ago, we noticed that as Paul's been writing, he's clearly been meditating on the Old Testament book of Job because he begins to quote from Job. But actually, in our passage today, what we're going to discover is that not only has he been meditating on Job, but he's been chewing over at least four of the first five books of the Bible and also from the book of Daniel. Um, And we know that because even in just verses 14 and 15, he's drawing language and quotes and references from all of those books and mixing them all together into a a picture. And what he's trying to do is paint a picture of, uh, it's kind of a tale of two families. On the one hand, you've got the family of Abraham in the Old Testament. And on the other hand, you've got the family of the church in Philippi, or you could say the people of God in the Old Testament, and then the people of God in Philippi. And he's got these two families. And the first family, this this tale that he's going to tell, is actually just tragic. And it follows exactly the trajectory that we've been talking about from good to not so good to worse. And uh, it starts off with Abraham in the book of Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 12, God visit somebody called Abraham and he and he says to him I'm going to bless your family and through your family 
there's going to be a ripple, a kind of a wave effect of blessing that, that covers over the whole world. And in fact, in Genesis chapter 15, he says, here's what I'm going to do for you, Abraham. Um, what I'm going to do for you is that, that just look up at the, scar, at the stars right now and tr just try and count them. He says, I'm going to make your descendants more numerous than all of those stars. And then in Genesis chapter 17, what he does is he says, okay, uh, here's what you are going to do for me. And he says, I want you to uh, be faithful and blameless in your walk with me. Um, and so uh, pure and blameless in the way that you live. And it starts quite well, to be honest. And Abraham's family does experience the blessing of God and it begins to grow. And, and actually it grows so much that by the book of Exodus, we find that it's, it's, it's now um, in, in Egypt as a kind of a nation within a nation. And Pharaoh is so threatened and, and uh, so insecure about that, that he crushes the Israelites and they are enslaved. And so God raises up Moses and Moses becomes this amazing leader who leads the nation, that, which is ultimately Abraham's family, leads them out of Egypt out of slavery and into freedom. But immediately, actually, the recurring story of Exodus is what happens? They just grumble and complain and argue the whole time. It's actually tragic. You know, there's just like relational breakdown after relational breakdown. There's a lack of honor towards God. It's awful. And so it's not at all what God had hoped for. And then in Leviticus, what you have is God making it possible for um, people, for the people of God to become pure and blameless again, uh, without fault, by choosing an animal to sacrifice that is without fault, without blemish. And then finally, you land up in the book of, uh, the book of Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy chapter 32, uh, it's the kind of the end of Moses' life. And there he is. It's a bit like he's on, on the porch as an old man and he's singing the blues. <clears throat> and, as he, and as he's singing this song in Deuteronomy 32, he starts to sing about God and then his people. So in, in, in Deuteronomy 32 verse 4, he says, He, God, is the rock. His ways are perfect. All his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. And then he goes on, they... In other words, Abraham's family, they're corrupt and they're not his children anymore. To their shame, they are a warped and crooked generation. It's just this indictment on the people of God, the family of God. It's all gone so wrong. And so Paul has clearly been reflecting on this downward journey of Abraham's family and, and in so many ways, as he hears about what's happening with this other family, the Philippians, he has every reason to think, well, here you go again. This is just like history repeating itself. This is just what always happens. And so you could be, you know, you could forgive him for just saying, well, there you go. There's no hope. But he just can't repress his hope. And actually, he says the very opposite. It's almost as if he's saying to them, their story does not need to be your story. That journey, that downward journey does not need to be your journey. Something completely different could happen if only you would participate with what God is wanting to do. And so he writes in verse 14 of our passage there, do everything without grumbling or complaining. In other words, 
not at all like Israel in the Exodus. He says, so that you may become blameless and pure, which is the language of the call to Abraham, so that you can become like Abraham should have been. And instead of, instead of saying, like Moses in his song, Moses said, you're not the children of God anymore. You're just a, a corrupt and crooked and depraved generation. He says the exact opposite. He says, you are children of God without blemish, that Levitical language, living amongst, not, not you are a crooked and depraved generation, but you're just living amongst a crooked and depraved generation. And then he says, you are going to shine like the stars in the sky, which is obviously picking up on that language that the very first, um, you know, or it's actually second promise to Abraham and also picking up on the language from Daniel, where there's this promise of this, the people of God who, who are going to shine like the stars in the universe. He says, you could be not like them, but like that. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying there's always hope. There is always hope. Our story doesn't have to be about a decaying faith and broken lives that result in alienation from God and from one another. The answer to the question, does everything always go from good to bad and from bad to worse, is no, it doesn't always need to happen like that because God's at work and God can do anything he likes. There is always hope. With God, there is always another way. I don't know if you noticed, but Paul is so absolutely positive about it. I love it. Um, you notice his language, verse 15, you will shine. Verse 16, I will be able to boast in you. Verse 17, I am glad and I'm rejoicing. Verse 18, so you too should be glad and re rejoice with me. So the question is how? How does he become so positive? And the answer is actually found in the little paragraph immediately before those uh, that kind of Old Testament rich passage where he gives us two anchors to hold on to that will give us hope. The first anchor is this, God is working in you. I didn't do any exercise from the time I left school until my 40th birthday and then I had a midlife crisis and I downloaded the Couch to 5k app and I started running and actually I, mean, I wouldn't say I love running but I quite like running now. And I was out running the other day. And as I was running, I was thinking, I've never run this fast in my life. Something is, I've eaten ready brek or something. That's a bit of a cultural reference for you. You know, I'm, I, I was just running so fast. I was starting to think, maybe I should start to look up what is the qualifying pace for the Olympics because <laughs> I am going so absolutely fast. And then as I ran along the estuary there, I, I ran back the other way and I realized that the wind had been with me and now it was against me. And it was so embarrassing, like snugs and slugs and snails were overtaking me. Little kids on trikes were, you know, whizzing past me. I was struggling to even stand up, let alone walk, let alone run. It was so embarrassing. And doesn't life so often feel like that? That the whole of the universe is kind of preventing you from making progress. Like the circumstances and people and, and situations are all just stopping you from making, from moving forwards. But his point is, and I absolutely, absolutely love it. He says, verse 13, it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Listen, God is not only with you and he's not only for you, but if you're a follower of Jesus, he is in you. Yeah. 
And what's so brilliant about that is that the wind of the Spirit of God is, is right in the core of who you are and he's, he's working with you and he's helping you to change and be transformed. He's bringing you hope and he's bringing you peace and he's shaping your life if only you'll let him. Such a lovely thing that you don't need to feel like you're struggling against God. God is doing the very opposite of that. He's inside you working with you. And I love how he says it. He's working on both your will. In other words, he's helping you to want the right things. And he's also helping you with your actions, with your behavior, if you'll let him. I read in my Bible recently, like I read the Bible most days, uh, as many Christians do. And, and I was reading in Second Corinthians, where Paul is so convinced about this idea that God is working on our side. And in chapter 1, verse 21 of 2 Corinthians, he says this, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. And then he goes on in, in chapter 3, verse 17, he says this, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. How brilliant is that? The first critical factor in just getting some hope about our situations, the first anchor for our hope is God is at work within us. By the way, can I just gently ask, is God at work within you? You know, many people who are watching this, like you're not sure if you're a Christian or you know that you're not a Christian, in which case, like, we, our, our strong encouragement would be, wouldn't it be brilliant if you gave your life to Jesus, if you committed to following Jesus for the rest of your life, you could have this kind of life-shaping, life-transforming power at work in your life. And so we're going to make an opportunity for you later on to become a Christian, if that is what you would like and experience exactly what I'm talking about. So God is at work in you. But secondly, the second anchor that we can hold on to is you can work it out. Verse 12, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Another translation says, work out your salvation with holy awe and wonder. We are, one of the, the jobs for lockdown for our family is we're trying to teach our kids how to make their beds. And I'll be honest with you, it's something we should have done a long time ago now that they're 24 26 and 28 it's a bit late they're not that old but it is a bit late to be fair but the, the problem is when you make a bed the duvet cover is really hard isn't it you know it's all very well you can open it up you can stuff the duvet inside you can do up the buttons but the hardest bit is getting the duvet right to the corners i'm so sorry this is such a terrible illustration but the point is what paul is saying is it's your responsibility as a christian to make sure that the work of God that is in your life makes its way to all of the corners of your life. What I can see Paul doing whilst he's in lockdown is not just giving up and hoping that, you know, his faith will survive. It's almost as if he's drawing a circle around his body on the floor and saying everything within this circle is gonna grow in God. And so you can see him, as I've said, chewing over chunks of scripture in his mind. Great practice. Find a verse of scripture, spend the rest of the day just chewing it over. Another thing he's doing is he's worshiping. You know, we, we know uh, that the previous 
few verses is a, is a worship song, one of the first worship songs. What, what if worship is on our lips all the time? Another thing we can find him doing is just being deep in prayer, just taking some time to, to pray for his friends and for his situation. What if we were to do exactly the same thing? God is working in us and we can work it out. Two great anchors to hold on to and therefore we can have hope. Not everything needs to go in a downward trajectory, especially in lockdown. Not everything needs to turn to dust. There could be more, more peace, more joy, more hope, more life, more depth, more richness, more uh, jo- more joy, more uh, experiencing the, the love and the presence of God, more friendship. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we pray that you would come right now by your spirit and begin a fresh work in each one of us. We just open up all of the doors in our lives and let the Spirit of God into every room. Come, God. We want to be shaped and transformed during this time.